Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, it feels really good to be here in comparison to where we were in March of 2020. Um, In March of 2020, obviously, we all know the world changed. I mean, it seemed like just on a dime we switched to employers closing down, to restaurants shutting down, or going to modified hours, to masks mandates, to social distancing, and the way that we behaved completely changed. Well, a couple of months ago, I was on a, on a conference call with some pastors. We were, we were receiving training on how to better understand where our people are in relation to COVID. And so the training gave us a scale of five different categories. Just, and these are generic, but five categories of where people generally stood. And so you, as you listen to these, you might find one and go, that was me. That was me. But the, the first far left side was what they were calling chaotic. And so a chaotic person with COVID was someone who we cannot go outside. We have to stay in. Everyone needs to stay in so that we can get over this thing. You should be wearing a mask. You should not be doing what you're doing. And and this person they would describe as borderline angry at the situation and angry at other people who weren't taking it as serious as them. And so they said that, look, these people are not coming back to your church anytime soon. They, they are very, 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 very serious about COVID and almost hateful towards people who are not as serious as them. Then as you kind of come one step over from the chaotic, they had what they called cautious. The cautious person said, no, we need to be wearing masks. We need to be socially distancing. The science would support that. And so they're, they're not doing things that they would normally do. They're ordering groceries online. If they have some type of condition or if they're in a vulnerable category, they're definitely staying home. So they are adjusting a lot of things about their life. And these people, they're not coming back to church either. It's like, man, there's available to watch it online. I'm gonna take advantage of that until this thing has ran its course or until I can get vaccinated. Then another step over was what they called careful. A careful person would say, I I mean, I hear the science on the one side. I hear the science on the other side. People that I know and love and trust are saying two different things. I really don't know what to do. So I'm just going to, I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to socially distance, but I'm going to try to manage life. I'm still going to go to the store. Um, we're still going to take that vacation. We're going to manage life because for our mental health, we, we need to just get back to being active. So they're following things, but still going about life. And so these are probably people that are coming back to church sooner than later. They're coming back. Then across from that, or the next step over was carefree. Carefree was, I think the science doesn't support masks. I don't think we should be socially distancing or wearing them. This is all dumb. Um, And so we're going to live life how we want to live it. We're going to go out and do our thing. But if I'm asked to wear a mask, I'm not going to make a stink about it. If I'm asked to socially distance, it's not that big of a deal. So I will follow the stuff. But if I don't have to, not going to do it. So that's the carefree person. And then the farthest to the right, they had what they called the caustic person. The caustic person was, it's my God given right not to wear a mask. You can't tell me to do that. And if you are wearing a mask, like you're basically being controlled by Nazi Germany. And so, you know, like then these people are almost angry on their end of things. And it's like those people, if you're taking any precautions have probably left your church. Like they're, they're not coming back because they're down the street. And so, you know, and so as we were along this thing, our staff were all a 
across the board, okay, in different areas. And so we were trying to find a balance and, and survive this last year. And so I was kind of in that, I would say that careful category, that middle category of really listing people on both sides, not knowing who to trust, but trying to do my best. But once project or operation warp speed, whatever it was called, when that got the vaccine out and when I was eligible to get that thing and I got my first shot, then my second shot and waited two weeks, I opened back up. It was like, I'm shaking hands. I'm hugging people. I'm like, this is great. You know, then the CDC is like, you don't even need masks anymore. And like Chick-fil-A just stopped wearing masks and Target opened back up. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this is a whiplash. But like, I personally was like, I can live life how I want to live it now because I got my card. I've got my card, right? Like I opened back up. And so I say all this because I feel like a lot of people Maybe this is you, maybe this is, has been you, but a lot of people treat Jesus like the vaccination card. It's like, I've got my card, I'm good for eternity, so now I can live life how I wanna live it. I can just do whatever I want because I've got my ticket. Like I've got my vaccination card. I'm good to go when it comes to eternity. And so I think the reason that this kind of I'm good for eternity, I can live however I want. I believe the reason why that's such a thing in our culture is because of the way that evangelism evangelism was done for me when I was growing up. So in in 1999, I went through a training on evangelism, how to share your faith. And this is what I was taught to do. You ask someone, if you were to die tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? And then if someone says yes, your follow-up question was, how do you know? And if someone goes, well, I'm a pretty good person or my grandma was a Christian, then you kind of knew like, okay, they're basing it off of their works or something they can control. So we need to share the gospel. Or if someone said it's by Jesus's blood and Jesus alone, like, like, okay, they're good to go. They know what they're talking about. But the question was, if you died tonight, the focus was on eternity, but no one really ever addressed the question. Like, what if you wake up and you're still living? Like, what if you live tomorrow? And so what we need to realize is that Jesus doesn't just care about our eternity. He also deeply cares about the day-to-day activities of our lives, right? So today I want to see why that's so important for us to know how Jesus cares more about us than just our eternity, but also our day-to-day. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 7. We're going to start in verse 21. Now, this is the conclusion to the greatest sermon of all time known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so as Jesus begins to conclude this, he says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So I want to point out a few things here. All right, for these people who are who are talking to Jesus and saying, "Lord, Lord," and when it comes to getting into the kingdom of heaven, we see that the phrase "Lord, Lord" reveals that they were doctrinally sound. All right, that title, Lord, Lord, is one, it's, it's showing respect, it's a respectful title for Jesus, but it's also recognizing that he's more than just a moral teacher, that he's also God, that there is deity, that he is the son of God. So these people who are saying, Lord, Lord, are doctrinally sound people. 
But the fact that they say Lord and then say it a second time reveals something as well. I mean, for instance, when Jesus talks to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, that double mention of the name shows deep care. And so when they say Lord, Lord, it's showing that not only are they doctrinally sound, they're also emotionally connected. These people are not only, they don't just know the right things, but they have, they've had experiences. They, they feel deeply when it comes to religious things. And so we know that they're doctrinally sound and they are emotionally connected or emotionally engaged. Then they go on to say, Jesus, in your name, like we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did mighty works, which shows that they were also ministerially involved. Like these people were practicing in a lot of church stuff. Okay, so here we have people who are doctrinally sound, emotionally engaged, and ministerially involved, yet what does Jesus say? I never knew you, right? And that, that idea of being known is a very weighty term, right? It's not that Jesus didn't know of them. It's not that they were Christians and then kind of backslid, now they aren't Christians. This knowledge that Jesus is talking about of knowing them is relational knowledge. It's a special relationship that God has with his people. And so he's saying like, look, I've never had a relationship with you. Yeah, you knew the right things. Yeah, you felt things. Yeah, you did the right things, but this was never genuine, right? And so here's the point Jesus is making in these first few verses. He's showing us that there is a danger to merely saying Jesus is your Lord without actually living under his Lordship. Right? There's a danger to verbally saying, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, where you say that, but you're actually not living under his Lordship. Back in 2006, uh, me and my best friend or my best friend and I, we decided to go backpack Europe. And so we, we buy our backpacks and pack up and fly to London and then start making some plans. And so we get to London, check into a hostel, my first time overseas. And the lady checking me in goes, where are you from? And, um, and I was like, Texas. And uh, not even thinking like maybe they don't know our state system. And so I was like, I mean, America. And she goes, Texas, that's where George Bush is from. He's ruined everything. And, um, and I, was, I was like, I wouldn't say that. And she's like, oh, you love him? And I was like, well, I mean, I, I, is there no in-between? It's like either hate or love. And, and so then as we were backpacking, we noticed all these people had backpacks with little Canadian flags stitched onto them. As we talked to these people, like, what part of Canada are you from? We were shocked that some people were like, oh, I'm from Virginia. It's like, oh, I'm from California. All these Americans were stitching the Canadian flag on their backpacks. Why? because they were much more likely to be treated with favor when people thought they were from Canada and not the United States, right? And so while a Canadian flag stapled to your backpack might serve you some good when you're in Europe, if you go back to the border of Canada and try to get in, it's not gonna get you in, right? Like it might, it might look like you're Canadian while you're overseas, but it's not going to get you back into the country. And so when you think about who we are as humans, like, like, what does it mean to be human? Well, one, we, we have bodies, like our physical bodies. Then we have souls. And then we have our hearts, okay? And so the, 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 the soul would be, that's your mind. It's the things that you think. It's your emotions, the way that you feel. It's your, it's your will or your actions, the things that you do. And then a level deeper than the soul is your heart, which is meant to drive those things, 
Okay? And so what we see here is that the people who are talking to Jesus are engaged at the soul level. The things they think, the things they feel, the things that they do are all right, but it hasn't penetrated their heart. And so if these truths don't meet you at the heart level, then your faith will never be genuine. Okay, so the question we need to ask is, well, how do we know if our faith is authentic? Like, like if, if we can know the right things and, and feel the right things and do the right things, like how do I know if my faith is legit? Right, well, Jesus continues. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. All right, so two things to know about your faith and whether or not it's authentic. The first thing we see is that authentic faith surrenders to the Lordship of Jesus or authentic faith surrenders to Jesus's lordship. Notice that it talks about hearing and also doing. It's like those who hear and do, right? This is the difference between orthodoxy and what's known as orthopraxy, right? Orthodoxy has to do with right belief. Orthopraxy has to do with right conduct. And so what we see here is the presence of things like doctrine and action, those things don't solidify your salvation, as we saw in verses 21 and 23. But if those things are absent, Jesus would, would say that's absolutely a problem. So the presence of right doctrine and right action doesn't solidify your salvation, but the absence of them is problematic. I think so often people want to know what God's will is for things that he hasn't directly spoken to. It's like, God, where am I supposed to go to college? Who am I supposed to marry? Should I take this job? Should we buy this house? And we're asking questions that God hasn't directly spoken to, yet we find ourselves ignoring things that he has clearly said to forgive those who have wronged us, to control our anger, to, to be careful with our eyes, to be people of our word, to let our yes be yes and our no, no. Like there's things that he has directly said and we're like, eh, should I like back out on this contract or not? It's like, no, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Stick to your word. That's God's will. He's spoken to that. Like, and so people want to know God's will, but when he's clearly said it, it's shocking how many people don't tend to follow it. But here's what we see. Surrendering to Jesus's lordship is obedience that goes beyond intellect, beyond emotions, and beyond actions. Right? Obedience that surrenders to Jesus's lordship, it gets to that heart level. And so here's what that looks like. This is where we say, Jesus, your ways are better than my ways, even when they don't make sense intellectually. Jesus, your ways are better than my ways, even when I don't feel like it emotionally. Jesus, your ways are better than my ways, even when, it, when I don't think I can do it in my own ability, because you're God and I'm not. You see, it goes beyond what we feel like doing, what we can comprehend doing, what we have the capability of doing. It says, God, like I'm gonna follow you because I trust that what you say is best.
All right, so the first thing is that authentic faith surrenders to Jesus's lordship. The second thing we see is that authentic faith is built on grace. And this is so important, okay? Authentic faith is built on grace. All right, so what we see here is that the appearance of the houses both look good. The houses that are being built, right? They're both looking like solid homes, right? They've got great walls, they've got great rooms, they've got great roofs. Like these houses from the outside looking in and even on the inside walking around appear to be great homes, but their foundations are totally different. And so what does the sand foundation represent? Who are the people who are building their house on the sand? Well, the sand represents those who are their own foundation. Sand represents those who are their own foundation. In other words, their hope is in the things that they control. This is people who hope in the things that, so how do you know if you're right with God? Have I read my Bible enough? Have I gone to church enough? Have I done enough good things? It's all about your, your thinking of whether or not you're right with God all rests on things that you are able to control. So you're ultimately hoping in yourself and not Jesus. And what he's saying is like one day, things might look great for years, but one day a storm is going to come. And if your faith is built on what you can do and what you can control, it cannot stand before a holy God. It will crumble, right? But the rock in contrast, represents Jesus as your foundation, where your hope isn't in what you can do, but in what Jesus has done. Where your hope for a right standing with God rests in Jesus dying the sinner's death that you deserved. Dying the sinner's death that you deserved after living the perfect life you could never live. It's like, man, Jesus lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserve and he rose again from the grave to give you eternal life. And your hope isn't in what you can control, but in Jesus. You see, authentic faith still puts in the work of obedience, but it doesn't do so for God's acceptance. It does so from God's acceptance. So here's the big thing I want you guys to take away today. The big thing I want you to make sure you're tracking with is that Jesus isn't your COVID vaccine card, okay? He didn't just come to save you from your sin, but also to save you for a new life. He came to save you for a, a way of being in this world that, that brings forth human flourishing, I think what happens is, you know, um, there's sometimes we live in this minimum mindset. Like think, think about, let's say you're part of a social club. There's many social clubs in town. Maybe you have a cool hat that you get to wear or a coat with colors. Like with movies, you're part of a social organization. It's like, okay, what do I need to do to get in? It's like, okay, well, you've got to pay these amount of dues. So here's what you need to give. And then you need to do so much um, just community service and log so many hours. And as long as you pay your dues and log your community service and attend so many chapter meetings a year, you're good to go. And so there are some people that will just do the bare minimum. Like I paid my dues, I logged the minimum amount of hours and I attended the minimum amount of chapter meetings. And so I can wear my hat. I can wear my badge. I can wear my coat. I'm in good standing with the social organization. That's, that's the minimum mindset. But can you imagine bringing that minimum mindset into marriage? 
Like, what, what if I was at the altar with Lucy and I was like, what's the bare minimum level of commitment you're willing to accept to be married to me? She'd be like, what? <laughs> like, like, that wouldn't, fl- she'd be like, like, like it, does anyone have anything to say? Like, speak now. She's like, I do. <laughs> like, I have things to say. Like, that doesn't work in marriage. Marriage is fully, being fully committed to someone at all times. And so following Christ isn't like the minimum mindset. It's like saying, I do. It's being fully committed and fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. All right. So Jesus doesn't want to just get you into heaven after you die. He wants to get heaven into you now as you live. And this happens as we surrender to his Lordship and build our lives on knowing his grace. So what do we do with this? Like, well, what's the application? What's the takeaway from this? Well, we want to start to pursue obedience, not for God's love, but to know God's love. I want, to, I want this to be a call for us today to pursue obedience, not for God's love, but to know it. You see, obedience is what we would call a means of God's grace. A means of God's grace is what allows you to experience his nearness, which means that the commands he calls us to follow, the things he calls us to do, whether they make sense intellectually, where they feel good emotionally, or where they fit within our capacity, like those things at the end of the day, when we follow Jesus's ways, no matter what, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up to experience God's nearness in life. So we want to obey, not, not to earn God's love, but to experience his nearness. You see, there's two theological terms that that I think it's really important to know. One is called union with Christ. The other is called communion with Christ. Okay, union and communion. Now, union with Christ is that's your right standing with God. Okay, you're right standing with God based off of your faith in Christ, that he lived the life you couldn't live, died the death that you deserved, rose again from the, the grave, and that when you put your faith in him, there's this declaration that you are justified, that you are righteous before God. Like that union is what we would call a subjective truth. And you're like, what does subjective truth mean? Right? Subjective truth is that means that it's it's absolute. It doesn't change. Like two plus two is always going to equal four. It doesn't matter if you don't like the way that feels. It's like that, you're wrong. Like if you put five down and got the question wrong, you're wrong. It's absolutely true because it's subjective. So union with Christ is a subjective truth. You cannot fall out of union with Christ. When people ask the question, can I lose my salvation? That's the wrong question. The question is, can Jesus lose a Christian? And the answer is no. Like he is holding on to you. He will not let you go. You are secure in your salvation, not because of you, but because of him. Right. And so the union with Christ you have is is absolute. You will never fall out of it. You are always in God's hands. Now, communion with Christ is different. Communion is the 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 objective or sorry, I said the wrong truth, objective truth. I was talking about objective truth that whole last bit, all right? <laughs> so you're like, what? You're like, the philosophers in the room are like, he's wrong. All right, everything I said with union is objective truth, all right? So communion with Christ, forgive me, when we're live streaming. All right, so <laughs> communion with Christ is the subjective experience of the objective reality. So communion with Christ is something that you can fall in and out of. So while Jesus is holding you near, that is something that will never change. You can fall in and out of experiencing that reality. 
you can fall in and out of experiencing that reality. So I think about some things, some illustrations I've used in the past where it's like if you ever go and look at the pyramids in Egypt, if, if you're looking at the pyramids, it's like there is a desert and there is no one around. I'm all by myself. But if you could turn around, you'd see Cairo and over 8 million people. And so your feeling of no one's around is dependent on your perspective. If you could just turn around, you realize that you are right with a bunch of people. Right? Or when you look at, you know, Copperfield and what he did to make the Statue of Liberty disappear, like the whole audience was on a stage. And over the course of the show, the stage slowly shifted without them realizing it. And so when the curtain came down, they were looking in a different direction. It's not that the statue had moved, it's that they had moved. Right? Or you think about going to the beach and when you're, you're out in the water and you look back to shore and you're like, where did my stuff go? It's like, it didn't move, you floated down. And so what happens is, is we can live in a way that we slowly drift away from experiencing God's nearness. But if you want to experience it, if you want to shift your focus back to him, if you want to come back to shore, if you want to turn around and see what is ultimately true, obedience is a means of God's grace to get there. So the question I have for us today is, Where's God calling you to take a step of obedience? You see, everyone has a next step of obedience. And, and I've asked this question a lot over the last year. That's a question that you need people in your life asking you on a regular basis. What's the next step of obedience that God is calling you to take? And maybe you're thinking like, I don't even know where to start with that. Like, wh where do I start? Can I tell you where I started? Back in January, I backed up to Matthew chapter 5. All right, if you were to look at the Sermon on the Mount, um, it's, it's all about this greater righteousness. And it's extremely practical to the way that we live. And so I started with anger in verse 21. So I wrote these verses down in my journal, and I said, God, where am I angry? I was in some counseling last summer, and, um, and I would talk about things. I'm like, that makes me frustrated. And the counselor's like, angry. That makes me, and he's like, he's like, you have a lot of synonyms for anger. He's like, but you have an anger issue. And so what I had to realize is like, okay, what am I trying to say is making me frustrated, but what's actually making me angry? And so I spent a couple of weeks just sitting on anger. And then once I was like, okay, God, I feel like you've made me like a, I'm better in this area. I moved on. Next thing, lust. Okay, God. How am I doing with my eyes? How am I doing in pursuing purity? What shows am I watching that, that, that might be pulling my mind somewhere that it doesn't need to go? And do I need to stop watching these things? Um, I'll, I'll just like, you're like, I, can I say this as a pastor? I'm about to say it, right? Um, Lucy and I watch some shows that you might not like. You're like, they watch that? Um, and so, and sometimes like a, a scene will come on that like is a little sketchy. And Lucy, like, like I'm watching a show with my mom when I'm six years old, I close my eyes. And Lucy's like, you can open them now. <laughs> like, 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 like that's, that's a step. Like, how do I protect my eyes? Like, so I'm like closing them. And I'm like, I'm just waiting for her to say, you can open back up, Jeff. All right. And so I'm like, I can open them. It's like, it's like, it's like I'm a kid again, but for the sake of purity. And then after that, I just moved on. Divorce, okay, like I'm not strong with that, but hey, this is more than just being divorced, it's being careful with your marriage. How am I pursuing my wife? How am I being careful in my marriage? Oaths, literally, I just went and, I, and I'm still in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Like I'm, like, I'm in prayer right now. Like I'm still, like I've been doing this for almost eight months, right? Like if you wanna know a starting point, 
back up from Matthew 7 where he talks about hearing and doing, just start in verse 21 and just sit in these things and really take the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus seriously and take a step of obedience. And as you do, you're taking a step closer to Christ's likeness, to experiencing the nearness of God, and you're taking a step closer to the life that Jesus has saved you for. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the way that you have spoken um, to give us confidence of our faith being genuine. Where God, we can know the right things, feel the right things, and even do the right things and, and still miss the boat if it doesn't become a heart level faith. So God, we, we wanna have a faith that's at the heart level that's built on your grace, where we obey not to earn your love, but to know it more deeply. So God, help us all this morning to identify where we need to take a step of obedience. And God, through the strength of Christ, this, the same strength that rose him from the grave that now lives in us, God, let Christ in us, let your strength help us to be obedient, to experience more of your nearness. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.